What's up, party people? You've waited all week, and now it's time. We're live, and the lines are open, so call in now. The Party Galardi Podcast is about to start in three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Party Galardi. Oh, yeah, yeah. What up, what up, party people? How are we doing? I feel like it's been so darn long, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm back. I'm on point. Here I am. And you're with me, which is awesome. That's so cool. Welcome to the Party Gallardi Podcast. I am your host, Party Gallardi. <laughs> yeah. Just like Tosh said in the opening right there, it's, uh, I, I absolutely love that opening. I'm going to keep saying it. And over and over again, she just nailed that thing for me. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Well, welcome to episode 188. <laughs> I know what you're thinking as the uh, record scratches. 188. What happened to 181 and 185 and all those other crazy numbers in between 1 and 188? Well, as I explained in episode 187, which was the first episode... I didn't want to start off at uh, episode number one, because then it seems like you haven't really accomplished much. you got a long way to go. So this will be the last time I mention it, and for the rest of you that uh, listen to start at 189 and, and beyond, you're going to have to go back to the first episode, which was 187, and now we're at 188. I did this because one of my favorite books, yes, I have read a book, it's been quite some time. But it was by Paul Reiser, and he started his book like at 300. And like I said, I told this in the last episode, so go check it out. But uh, I wanted to start at 187, and now we're at 188. And then 189 is coming next. So before you know it, we'll be at 200 episodes. How awesome is that? Well, let, uh, what can I tell you? I mean, go to PartyGalardi.com. That's all the information that you need. Party Gallardi podcast is just about anywhere and everywhere you can think of. So if you go to IG, if you go to Facebook, it's Party Gallardi podcast. And if you go to that damn Twitter, you know, they like to shorten things. It's Party Gallardi pod. So I want you, I want to encourage you and tell all your friends, go there, check it out. I'm going to add photos, more photos than they're already there. We've got more podcasts coming. We've got guests coming Anything and everything is coming, all right? So you write down in the comments and only nice stuff, man. I don't want to see any negativity on there. This is this is hard work, let me tell you. This is expensive, number one, as a, as a hobby, I guess, or, or as a, a venture, if you will. But number two, it's hard work, you know, trying to get all this stuff together to make it look great and professional that I can put this out there for you guys. And, and, uh, and I hope you enjoy it first and foremost. So regardless of what the website looks like, which it looks awesome. Uh, but, uh, you know, regardless of that, this is fun for me to do. And I hope that you get to enjoy it as well. And I hope that, uh, you spend some time and listen to all the episodes. Not all of them are going to be 45 minutes to an hour long. Some are going to be 15 minutes and just a little quick kind of 
party galardiasms, <laughs> something like that. So, oh, anyway, so what are we talking about today? Episode 188. Well, I love stand-up comedy, and I think that's kind of part of why I wanted to do a podcast and, and why I do do a podcast um, is, is stand-up comedy. I think that uh, it has brought me so much joy growing up. I think the first album I, well, I know the first album I ever got was probably late seventies, I'll say, which was Steve Martin. And I'll talk about him late later, but, uh, from right then and there, we went into Eddie Murphy and it's always been such a big part of my life comedy, whether it's from my oldest brother who is, uh, just raunchy and outrageous and hilarious and, and kills it with everybody that he encounters. Uh, but to, to an extreme that you're like, Holy shit, can that guy say that? You know, it's, uh, to what, you know, one of the funniest guys I know. Um, but to all the stand-up comedians that I'm going to label out in this, uh, this little podcast tonight and stuff, and I'm going to give you even some examples of some of my, my absolute favorite clips uh, over the years of, um, stand-up comedians. So growing up, I, uh, I really, like I said, listened to a lot of Steve Martin. And I mean, I listened to that album over and over and over again. And, and I don't know if that had, I don't know, some kind of influence on me and, and my sense of humor, or if Eddie Murphy did, or Sam Kennison. I mean, I think all those guys really dice clay. I think all those guys growing up in the seventies and eighties, really kind of influenced not who I was as a person, but I guess my, my take on things and my, my, I, I hate to say my comedy stylings, but you know, like Tom Hanks, another, another great one. Uh, that, that stutter that I have, that I, I, that thing I just did, that reminds me a lot of Tom Hanks. And he is not only one of my favorite actors, but, uh, was one of my favorite stand-up comedians back in the day. And, and that TV show, Bosom Buddies, I grew up just watching with my parents. I do remember that, uh, a lot of comedy shows, um, you know, we didn't have Hulu or Netflix, anything like that back in the day, but we would watch Taxi uh, and Andy Kaufman and all the gang that were on there. And uh, it was Latka Gravis was his name on Taxi. But I remember growing up watching that like religiously with my parents. It was the funniest damn show. That one in Soap. And a lot of people don't know about Soap with Billy Crystal. But my God, that show was a riot. And as a, as a young kid, I'm probably... Gosh, I don't know, uh, born in 71, so early 80s makes me 10. <laughs> I'm sure that's probably not great for my parents to admit that I'm watching soap and uh, taxi and all that stuff at 10 years old or 9 maybe. But uh, listen, those shows were fantastic. Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks. I mean, that was just, it was great. Three's Company. Uh, 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 just, I mean, amazing, amazing experiences growing up. And, uh, I don't know, just, just kind of framed my life. And I, I really am deeply indebted for stand-up comedians to stand-up comedians and, you know, old, new, young, seasoned, unseasoned. And, uh, anyways, I just want to get into it and kind of play some of my favorite stand-up comedians and, and tell you a little bit about my thoughts on them. So let's just get right into it. Damn it. I'm rambling. Sorry. <laughs> so, all right. The first guy I got here. Yeah, I got notes. Listen notes, baby. <laughs> I'm telling you, I am really investing my time in this thing. I'm taking this serious. All right. The party Gallardi podcast isn't just about getting hammered. Eh, kind of. <laughs> so, and the more and more we drink, the more and more fun it's going to get and, uh, less intelligible 
if that's if that's even going to make sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. So the first guy I want to uh, I don't want to bring up because uh, he's obviously not here. So <laughs> don't. Uh, holy shit! Party Gallardi's got uh, Eddie Murphy. No, I don't. Uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy is the first guy I want to bring on and kind of play some of his stand up comedy for you. He had, um, and, and these are all going to be like clips that are kind of kind of my favorites growing up, things that I remember hands down. Before I actually even get into that, I want to tell you the first joke that I had ever heard. And, uh, and it's not a great joke. <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, besides the, you know, why the chicken crossed the road, anything like that. But, you know, one of the first kind of dirty, dirty jokes that I'd ever heard. I was, I mean, I'm kidding you not. I was probably nine years old. Uh, this is late seventies, maybe like early, early eighties. And my parents would take me to Palm Springs every single summer and I would go play tennis there. And one of my buddies who I would only see on summers, cause that's just kind of what you did. Like it was summer camp type thing for tennis. And I, you know, again, the irresponsibility of my parents taking a nine or 10 year old to go play tennis in the summer in Palm Springs. I, I, you know, I look back at these things and I go, Holy shit. What were you guys thinking? I mean, like, did you not like me? <laughs> it's 120 outside. Go hit some tennis balls, go play golf, not like go in the swimming pool, <laughs> the smart stuff. Uh, don't stay hydrated. Go play tennis. No, I'm just kidding. My parents uh, gave me a great upbringing, so I'm not trying to put that out there or anything like that. Not mad at them whatsoever. Yeah, I enjoyed playing tennis in 120-degree weather. But um, the first joke I'd ever heard was uh, from this kid. I think his name was Chris. And we were at this. I mean, I, I remember this vividly. And uh, you're talking 35 years ago. Uh, we're sitting in this Mexican restaurant and I'm having a Coke, I'm pretty sure. And I, back then I think I just ate like, you know, chicken fajitas, but just chicken grilled <laughs> with like a tortilla wrap. So it was really just a chicken tortilla wrap is all it was. So Chris goes, uh, Hey, you guys want to hear a joke? And it's my parents, it's me. And I, and I think it was his parents that were there. And we were between 10 and 12 years old, like I said. So Chris goes out and he goes, all right. So there's this three guys and they're sitting at the bar. And the first guy goes, I got the biggest dick. <laughs> and so as soon as he says that, I'm kind of like, holy shit, this guy just said dick in front of my parents, in front of his parents. Like, you know, what, what's going to happen next? So, you know, you, I just couldn't believe that because I had a very not strict upbringing, but that's just something you wouldn't say in front of your parents. And you know how there's some parents out there that let their kids drink as long as they do it in front of them. You know, they're 16 years old, whatever, which I'm totally against, by the way. I, I just I don't think that's cool, man. I think, you know, you got to be 21. And if you're going to experiment, yeah, go, you know, experiment at a buddy's party or something like that. But be safe. And I don't know, it's something about drinking at 16 in front of your parents or, or I, I just, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not down with that, but let's not get into that part. This is a comedy show, damn it. So um, anyway, so Chris starts off the joke and he goes, so there's these three guys and they're all in a bar. And the first guy says, I got the biggest dick. Second guy goes, no, I got the biggest dick. Third guy goes, no, 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 no. He goes, I got the biggest dick. So they're all arguing about who has the biggest dick. And the bartender comes up and he goes, all right, God damn it. He goes, uh, what we're going to do here is we're going to line up all your dicks up on the bar and whoever has the biggest dick, he goes, going to get a free pitcher of beer on the house. So they're like, all right, great. So they start unbuckling their pants. First guy goes up, puts his dick on the table. <laughs> That was his dick on the table. Very heavy dick. <laughs> so puts his dick on the table, starts lining it up, measuring it. Second guy goes, 
He didn't have that big of a dick. <laughs> That's why he kind of made a soft noise in the background. Again, this is not, I'm elaborating the joke now. Sorry. So the second guy puts his dick up on the bar, starts measuring it up. Third guy goes up, puts his dick up on the bar, starts measuring it up. Guys, uh, you know, they're kind of going back and forth and seeing who's longer, who's bigger and stuff like that. These two gay guys walking in the bar. One looks at the other and goes, oh, look, Harold, a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years old, man. Like, why would I be hearing this joke at that age? That was the first dirty joke that I had heard. And uh, I still haven't forgotten it 35 years later. So speaking of dirty jokes, you know, Eddie Murphy, man, he was, he was, as the title said for, I think his first uh, or second, actually, uh, uh, stand-up comedy special, Eddie Murphy raw. I mean, this guy was raw. He attacked comedy. He made it. Uh, he he made it personal, like with his aunt Bunny and his uncle. How he would always get drunk. He had great storytelling abilities. He had uh, great quick jokes. He he made it so that you know black people would get the joke, but then white people were in on the joke also. And and it was kind of that crossover that you know a guy like Red Fox was. I mean, he was, he was a black guy's comedian and yes, Eddie Murphy was, but he made that crossover and then got into the movies and stuff. He was, uh, I mean, I guess for lack of a better example, I kind of relate him now cause I've been watching that whole OJ Simpson thing, whatever on uh, Netflix. He was kind of like the OJ Simpson of stand-up comedy, if you look at it like that, you know, in kind of a twisted way that that he was accepted by white people and brought in by white people and started hanging out with white people, unlike a comedian like Bill Cosby back in the day or Eddie Murphy or excuse me, uh, um, Red Fox, like I had said. Eddie Murphy broke those boundaries down and made fun of white people, made fun of Italians. I mean, they're white people too, but you know, he made fun of Chinese people. He made fun of black people and he just kind of spread the love through everybody and every race and every religion and all that stuff. So this is kind of one, one of my favorite uh, little bits that he had done. Obviously it's about Italians and me being Italian and stuff. This one really hit home and it's just, it's just damn outright funny. So here's some Eddie Murphy Italians after they've seen Rocky. Here you go. Yeah, I was in the club, man. I, I stopped. I ain't dancing long because I just got, I had a fight recently and I said I ain't dancing. I went to clubs. You get in the lot. People get drunk, go to clubs and stuff. Fight. I had a fight with an Italian dude. Right after around time, Rocky came out. Italian, white people, period. Y'all go crazy after y'all see a Rocky movie because y'all believe that shit. Because the movies are so emotional and so real. You sit there and go like, hey, this is real. Yeah, and Stallone have y'all white people pumped, especially Italians. After Italians see Rocky, they come out the movie theater, they be like, Italians are funny people because they act like niggas. It's real funny. <laughs> they do. They hold their dick more than us to be standing around with it. Get the fuck out of here. It's right here, all right? What? Hey, fuck you, all right? Everything is a question, too. Hey, what am I, an asshole? What am I, fucking Jake? Get the fuck out of here. It's right here, all right? <laughs> After they see Rocky, they come out the theater charged. They be like, all right, Rocco! All right, Sloyd! People standing on line and shit. Hey, Paisan, you going in to see Rocky right now? Yeah. Great fucking move. 
three. You don't like this one. He comes out, Sly comes out, he breaks his big fucking nigga's face. He busts it fucking wide open. Fucking moon and y'all laying on the floor, fucked up. It's fucking great. I fucking love it, man. All right, rock on! Hey, you know something? At the end of this picture now, just between you and I, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but Sly wins this one again. You know, Shum, you know what I like about Stallone's movies? The realism, you know? Because, you know, that's the way you got to fucking treat those fucking moolies. They think that they can fucking push you around. There's your big hot shot. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of my face with that shit. That's what I like about Sly. He goes in, and the moolies are beating him, and he fucking, he don't fucking go down. He's not fucking going down. He comes in, he cracks the fucking moolies hole like this. He falls on the ground. That's what I like. You know something? You can really do that. You can really fucking do that. You see that fucking big moolie y'all stand over there? <laughs> you see that black guy over there at the line getting some candy? Yeah, you're right. Now, he's about 6'5". I'm 5'2". I ain't no big guy, all right? But I'm Italian. Watch this. You watch this, all right? Hey, excuse me, brother. Hey, let me have a box of juicy fruits and uh, let me have some bonbons. I think I'd have some bonbons there. And uh, let me have some uh, junior mints and uh, give me another box of juicy fruits and uh, the niggas are going to pay for it. Excuse me? You heard what I said, Mooley? Pay for my fucking candy. Or I'll kick your ass. Oh, you just saw Rocky. Look, little Italian white man. I enjoy Sylvester Stallone's movies too, but I'm getting waiting here to get some candy. I'm going to go see a movie with my friend. Why don't you just go hop in your IROC Z28 and take your ass home? I'll kick your fucking ass. <laughs> Didn't they hear that Rocky music? Hour later? Woo, 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 woo. He's not gonna make it. The big nigger named Abdullah's hand wrapped around his throat. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard not to laugh at that, you know? It's just, uh, it, it's Eddie Murphy raw. It's so great. It was unlike anything else we had seen in stand-up comedy, and he came out there and just killed it. And... I mean, again, whether it's, he's talking about black people, he's talking about Italians, he's talking about whatever, it's just so spot on what he does, and it's fucking hilarious, man. Just absolutely loved Eddie Murphy. Well, we're going to go to the next one, and I can tell you right now that you are not going to like this one, this choice, but this guy was so damn influential to every one of us that's in our 40s uh, in the in the 80s. I mean, this this guy, he recreated uh, a, a brand, if you will, for comedy. And he was an original. He was, he was unique. He brought down and made comedy and made, I don't know, just he made people stupid. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's so sick to think that we all walked around in the 80s and spoke just like this guy. I mean, it was, it was incredible to think that his album title was the future of America. <laughs> so do you have an idea about who I'm talking about right now? He wore short shorts and tie dyes and hair was all curling all over the place. And he was a massive, massive hit mid eighties. 
If you haven't figured it out by now, everybody, I'm talking about Polly Shore. <laughs> so take a listen. Don't get mad. It's one of the guys that we grew up with, and uh, he kind of shaped us. You have to admit it. Polly Shore. <laughs> cool, but you guys are chilling front row. What's up? Cool. Well, check out these two nuts, bro. They're fresh, man. Wow, man, I'm fully into patrolling your unit because your major cones are giving me the serious wood and I want a bomb, man. She's clean, bro. You should check it. <laughs> cool, man. You guys a party crowd, though, man? You guys like to get buzzed once in a while? Cool, man. I like, I like to party, too. I mean, I could let that play forever. <laughs> it just brings me back. I like to party too. <laughs> it's so crazy. And all of the, the nugs and the nuggets and stuff like that, the, uh, the acronym, not even acronyms, just the shortening of every word and just the pure stupidity. It was, uh, it was just what we needed at that time growing up. I don't think that comedy would work these days. Uh, I, I don't know if people are too smart for it or not, but, uh, Polly Shore was great, like it or not. And, uh, I, I don't know. He's just, he's still one of my favorites to this day. So going on to the next guy right here, this guy, unfortunately, uh, passed away a couple years back. I, I, man, you could, you know, when they, when they talk about comedians and stuff, they, they talk about how they're so narcissistic. And this guy was, was definitely at the top of the list of the narcissism and, and almost just a, 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 a hate for yourself. And it came out in his comedy. He was so, um, just, just like dark about everything. He was very intelligent in his comedy. He, uh, was very well thought out. He had very controversial type looks on things. And then he had some hilarious things, uh, just about, you know, his uh, uh, Colombian upbringing and, and New Jersey and New York and stuff like that. And when you hear the voice, you're just like, oh, my God, that that is East Coast right there, baby. It's great. Uh, I think he's, uh, yeah, I think he's uh, Dominican or Colombian or something like that. But um, anyways, Greg Giraldo was a life taken way too soon. And he at the roast uh, for Comedy Central, uh, the Friars Club roast, those type of things, just slayed it every single time. He was in your face, uh, holding up a mirror and just saying, look, I'm right there with you, but, <laughs> and, uh, I really liked him. His, his voice was an original. He, um, had that like straight up in your face, New Jersey kind of attitude. And, you know, he's again, just a life taken too soon. His comedy, I could listen to over and over again, just because of the, the sheer smarts of his jokes. But here's Greg Giraldo. RIP buddy. Because, you know, people are so sensitive. Even when people don't mean to be racist, apparently they're ra People get in trouble all the time. Although there are people that claim not to be racist that actually are. People tell me at least once a week that they're not racist. I hear people all the time, dude, I'm not racist. I'm not a racist. As soon as someone tells you they're not racist, that always means they're about to say the most racist shit you ever heard in your life. I'm not racist. But these fucking Mexicans, dude, holy shit. <laughs> They come swimming over here all covered in herpes and shit. That's just what I read. I'm not racist. I'm saying it's just something. I'm, I'm all right with it. I'm not racist. I got a friend who's Mexican. Filipino, I think. I, whatever. Some fucking... 
<laughs> so he, he just, I don't know, he made you uncomfortable. And that's what I liked about Greg Giraldo is that, you know, he says some of his jokes have, you know, AIDS references to him and stuff. And uh, you're just like, oh, God, you know, should you be saying that? And it's just fucking hilarious. It was balls out. It was I don't care. But it made you laugh and it made you feel good. And I'm sorry he was in such a dark place because uh, you could see it in his stature. You could see it in his his appearances. You could see it and hear it in his voice sometimes. And uh, God, just uh, uh, again, I, I'm really sad that guy's gone. I really, really enjoyed his humor. Um, the next guy right here, he has been a legend as far as I'm concerned for 30 to 40 years in the stand-up world. And this guy is kind of the, man, he is the, the best storyteller ever, I think. And I don't know if it's his stammer, if it's his, his long drawn out stories that gets me, but he captivates me. And a 10 minute story seems like it takes 30 minutes, but you want to hear the punchline. He suckers you in. He, he, he just tells and says, has such a, uh, an odd way of telling a story. It's not, you know, from one, two, three, it's like he goes through the, you know, it's not ABC. It's a B C. Let me go back to B real quick. And then let me get to uh, Y Z. And it just kind of keeps coming back and coming back. So this one is going to be a little long. I'm promising you uh, it's worth it though. When you hear the end of the story, uh, Norm Macdonald has been around for as long as I can remember and his comedy styling has not changed or varied as far as I'm concerned from the 80s to the 90s, 2000s to even today. And if anything, he's gotten better with age and the stories have gotten better and uh, uh, the way he creates uh, the need to hear what he's going to say next. This was one of my favorite recent clips from um, actually September of this year with uh, Howard Stern. He was on Howard Stern. So Norm McDonald's is going to tell you a great story here and, and you got to hang in for the whole thing. It's just hilarious. A street joke. Good. But my dad would always tell this joke and uh, <clears throat> it was about a little boy <clears throat> called Dirty Johnny. You know, and he'd be in class. You ever heard Dirty Johnny? <laughs> Dirty Johnny jokes, yeah. yes. Heard the but whole series. In this, <laughs> uh, in, this, in this joke, he's not dirty. Hmm. But anyways, uh, the, <laughs> right. te the teacher uh, has a thing. And the teacher says, today in class, um, class, we are going to uh, have a little experiment. You're going to tell a story from your real life. And then afterwards, you are going to tell the moral of that story. You know? So uh, uh, Sheila puts up her hand, and the teacher says, Sheila, what's your story? So Sheila says, well, uh, uh, my dad works at the hatchery. And uh, he took uh, some chick, uh, some eggs, and um, and he put them all in a basket. All the eggs he put in one basket, and then he put them in the horse and buggy, and off we went to town. And the earth was uneven, and the eggs broke. And uh, and the teacher goes, "Well, that's an all right story, but I, I can't understand what the what the moral would be to that story." <laughs> So Sheila says, well, the moral is, don't put all of your eggs into one basket. <laughs> so the teacher says, well, by God, this is exactly what I'm looking for, <laughs> and what I was hoping for with this experiment. Yeah. And uh, anybody else have one? So uh, Marjorie puts up her hand. 
Okay, Marjorie, what's your story? Well, my father works for the hatchery. Most of us. <laughs> Most people in that town work in the hatchery. Worked at the hatchery. Oh. Thank God for the hatchery, she says. <laughs> or where would we be? So she says, my father, um, uh, he sells chickens. And he knows that eggs become chickens. See what I mean? So uh, he had to count his chickens uh, so he'd go in, uh, and sell them in town. So he had nine chickens and five eggs. So instead of uh, saying he had nine chickens, he added the five eggs. You see, he counted them as chickens. So he said, I have 14 chickens. So he uh, uh, took them, uh, Sheila says, uh, and put them in the horse and buggy, and off they went to town. But the, the land was uneven. <laughs> the chickens uh, yeah. survived easily. They frolicked. The eggs broke. Well, the teacher says again, that's a story, you know. But, uh, but what, what on earth could the, could the moral of that story be? Well, Sheila says, if that's her name, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> she says, don't count your chickens before they hatch out of the, out of the eggs. Teacher says you could probably shorten it a little. <laughs> so, um, but but that's great, and that's exactly what we're looking for. And then she looks at the back of the class, and by God, there's the, the upraised hands of, as you say, fucking dirty Janet. Fucking dirty Janet. He's gonna ruin the lesson. <laughs> so the teacher and her inside of her head, her thoughts are moving around, and she's like. Ah, God, I don't want to hear Dirty Johnny say that this is going so well, but at the same time, I took a vow and I became a teacher that every student... And, uh, <laughs> All right, Johnny, let's hear your story. So Dirty Johnny gets up and he says, This is a story about my Uncle Terry. He didn't work for the hatchery. He didn't even like people that did. He was in Vietnam. <laughs> well, he lives in the disability checks he got. <laughs> Uncle Terry was not a popular man, not even among those he worked with. And I suppose we've all heard of people who've deserted from their battalion. But I don't know if you've ever heard of a battalion deserting a man. That's what they did with with Uncle Terry. One day Uncle Terry awoke in the middle of Da Nang and everybody was gone. He was alone and they'd left him three bottles of Jack Daniels and some weaponry. So there, uh, Uncle Terry got up to his dirty Johnny and he downed the bottle of Jack Daniels and two slugs and he threw it down and smashed it into the into the jungle. And um, then he walked, picked up the two Kalashnikovs and three or four Glocks and a couple of hand grenades, and off he walked into the, into the unknown, the jungle, his fate. Came upon a, a village, and from the village came <laughs> people. Now, were they Charlie, or were they the people that Terry was sent to protect from Charlie. Uncle Terry didn't know. But he knew he had to do something, so he took another swig from the bottle. 
and he let loose. Took that Kalishnikov, <laughs> and he he let it sway like a like a farmer would a scythe. <laughs> And uh, the bullets came, and uh, you know, just as a uh, just as hay would fall uh, before a farmer, so the people fell before Uncle Terry, the men, the women, and by God, even the children. And finally, Uncle Terry stood alone in the mud and the blood and the guts, and the <laughs> only had himself. <laughs> he took a long swig, and his hand brushed against his his pants, and he felt wetness, and and then he felt shame because he realized he had urinated himself in fear. And then, upon closer inspection, he realized it was not urine; it's ejaculate. <laughs> The shame was replaced by pride. And that teacher goes, holy fucking shit, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> fucking kind of fucking story is that? Like we just heard the hatchery and shit, and now this? She goes, Uncle, Uncle Terry, well, Dirty Johnny, what on earth could be the, the, the moral to such a story? So... Uh, Johnny thinks about it for a couple of minutes and he goes, well, I don't know, I guess. Well, I know one thing. You don't fuck with Terry when he's had some uh, some drink in him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's uncorked the jug. You stay away from Uncle Terry. And he does. Oh, my God. Is that just the best or what? It's almost like he forgets the joke mid-joke and then has to kind of like make it up as he goes along but i'm telling you norm mcdonald is just a crazy crazy talent and it's that ability to keep you so engaged for minutes upon minutes upon minutes to hear i mean one story that it's almost like a, a vintage time capsule is what he's able to to kind of create right there. So I absolutely love Norm MacDonald. I could listen to the guy all day long and just, I want to see where he goes next and him on Howard Stern. Those guys are such old, good friends that, uh, it's always a great, great interview. So moving on next, something a little more light and bright for you. All right. Listen, when you talk about the best female stand-up comedian, I think to ever live and, and definitely forget just being a female one of the best comedians uh, to ever live. I think Joan Rivers, another life, you know, maybe not taken too short <laughs> like Greg Giraldo, but you know, definitely a life taken that uh, probably should not have gone. Uh, but Joan Rivers, I mean, I, I remember growing up listening to her also and watching her on one of my favorite, favorite TV shows, Johnny Carson. First of all, Johnny Carson was masterful at his gift of interviewing people and his, his, his human, uh, uh, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for here? His, uh, the way he would laugh and, and his humility and the way he would be okay with people laughing at him and, and get the joke and kind of laugh along with it was just infectious. His smile, his his entertainment quality, his, 
his everything, his presence, the way he interviewed people and stuff. And, and when you, when he was on and he had a guess it was on, there was nothing more vibrant than that. And really to me, there was a handful of people that were just phenomenal on the Johnny Carson show. And I mean, I know it's the tonight show, but with Johnny Carson and Joan Rivers was definitely at the top of the list right there. She, not only her quick one liners that kind of reminds me of a little Don Rickles ish and same era and everything, but her ability to keep up with the men, because I know it's always been a, a, a kind of thing that like, Oh, you know, who's the best female comedian? Who's the best male comedian? And I started off by saying that too. And it's really, who's the best comedian? Who cares? I mean, she, she ranks up there for sure. And definitely in the top 10 best comedians ever, in my opinion, she was quick. She was funny. She was sassy. She wasn't going to take shit from anybody. And there was no one like her, still no one like her, Joan Rivers. Isn't that nice? How are you feeling? Great. Yeah, we've gotten hold. It's, it's very hard for me to believe sometimes. Oh. On the time frame, to think that it was 21 years ago when you first came out and sat down. Do you do you think you're any older? I don't feel any older. I feel great. Yeah, you know, when I feel older, I went to buy sexy underwear, and they automatically gift-wrapped it. Oh. And you go, oh. <laughs> Obviously for your aunt or something, uh, sure. And when you buy a bikini. Bad. Or when the body is falling and you're wearing a bikini, you go waiting and the top gets wet first. You go, oh. <laughs> Gravity just starts to it go, starts doesn't it? To go. Oh, yeah. That's why I wanted to write the book where I could still remember. You're 60, <laughs> 60, 60 hairdo. Huh? Nothing moves. It's like, you know, it's sprayed. Is that all? Of all oh, no, there's a piece in there that I wore. Yeah. I saved it all because, you know, it was such a big night for me. Yeah. I put, I'm wearing the same underwear, which... Everyone backstage remembers. <laughs> <laughs> Those two just had such an amazing time together. And I'm sorry that that relationship went so south and, uh, they were so great on the show together and, and God, she just, uh, boy, she could just take a joke, give a joke, make fun of herself. She knew she wasn't the hottest woman out there and she just let people know she was okay with it. She was uh, not afraid to talk about plastic surgery or anything. And one of the best things that she ever came up with is the can we talk? Can we talk? You know, I absolutely love that. Remember that as a kid growing up. She was by far one of the uh, my, my favorites ever to hit the stage. Dave Attell is coming up next. Dave Attell is the guy you want to go drink Jaeger with. I mean, hands down. Uh, Dave Attell is the guy's guy. He is the guy you go shooting with and he may not shoot the gun. He might just sit there and just drink beers and make you laugh the whole fucking time. <laughs> so Dave Attell, he's, he, he goes left and he fakes left and he goes right on you on his jokes. And he is a, uh, a, a darn good storyteller, but I just love his doesn't give a fuck attitude. I mean, he's not wearing suits. He's wearing hoodies. He's, uh, he could step up his fashion game a little bit, but you know, I loved his TV show insomniac and I, I wish this guy would get more recognition and more, um, uh, you know, more, I don't know, more success. Uh, I'm sure he's very successful and probably doesn't have to answer to me. That's for sure. But you know, he's had some great albums. He's got some great comedy. He's been on some great shows and uh, he's just a he's just a dude, man. He's just a guy's guy. You want to hang with them, and you, I think something about Dave for me 
is that I feel like I could hang with them. Like if I bumped into them in a bar, I guarantee you we'd be hanging out partying and having a great time. So that's kind of why I like Dave Attell. And I love his just dumb down humor and it's just funny and it's just, it's dick and fart jokes. You know, <laughs> that simple guy humor, dick and fart jokes. Here's Dave Attell. You ever black out when you're drinking or as I call it time travel? Yeah. You're in a bar, you're drinking, you black out, you wake up, you're in another bar, you're drinking, you black out, you wake up, you're in McDonald's. Working there about three years, still not assistant manager. You want to quit, but you're banging that girl on the fry later. They say she's retarded, but those titties ain't retarded. Oh. Oh, Dave, man, just quick to the jokes and... Uh... Man, I love that guy. His voice, he's always smoking and drinking, and he loves Jaeger. But he's, he's great. The guy's fantastic. You can't deny him. Can't deny him at all. So one of the other guys I grew up with, and a lot of these guys I, I grew up with, and we all grew up with, and if you haven't really had a chance to go back and listen to his earlier stuff, the Dice Man, Andrew Dice Clay. Talk about New York fuck you in your face. He went to with comedy though, a completely different direction. And I think that that's what all these guys have in common. And these girls is that they did something that made them stand out. When you go back to Eddie Murphy raw. And like I talked about, you know, when he talked uh, about his family, he talked about black people, he talked about white people, Chinese, Italians. And then you got Greg Giraldo, who's got that unmistakable voice, Polly Shore, Hey, buddy. You know, I mean, it just, it's unmistakable and it's a different direction than anybody else has ever taken it. And that's what Dice Clay did. He came out with those poems and the nursery school rhymes and all that stuff. As soon as you heard it, you're like, this dude is a star. This is brilliant. And everybody knew the jokes and everybody repeated them for years. I mean, you would go around telling your buddy buddies all the time. Ickery dickery duck. Oh, <laughs> and that whole oh thing and the way you would smoke the cigarette on stage, it would take him a good solid minute and a half to two minutes to even light that cigarette and his whole antics and mannerisms about doing it. Man, you just, you, you, you knew you were witnessing something special when you saw Dice. Here he is. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tougher. Eating a curds and whey. Long came a spidey, sat down beside, he said, Hey, what's, what's in the bowl, bowl bitch? <laughs> oh. oh! Love it. Love it. Got it? I get chills. I get chills. It's awesome. Jack and Jill went up to help both with a buck and a quarter. Jill came down with 250. Oh! <laughs> and everybody in the audience is, is doing it with that them. That fucking whore. <laughs> one more, one more. Little boy blue, he needed the money. Oh! <laughs> oh my God, Dice. Unmistakable, right? I mean, just who, who would have ever have thought to go that direction. And he did. And that's what makes him unique. That what, what makes him the dice man. He, uh, Oh God, I love that guy. 
Let's talk about a, this guy's a legend for kind of a different reason, even though his stand-up comedy is amazing. The Friars Club uh, roasts back in the day. I mean, I'm talking old school back in the day when it was the whole, you know, the the dais that would sit up on stage and you had Don Rickles and you had uh, Johnny Carson had been up there a couple times and Jerry Lewis. And Jerry Lewis was fantastic back in the day. He was a great comedian. And Dean Martin, probably one of my my favorite, you know, Italian kind of guys, more so than Frank Sinatra. And I, you know. Frank was great, but there was nothing like Dean Martin to me. And Dean Martin would host the roast most of the time, and he was kind of the original roast master. And uh, and now you've got the new roast master out there, uh, Jeff Ross. And I, one of the things that I love about Jeff Ross is when he comes out for the roast for Comedy Central, he never looks the same. You know, sometimes he'll be in like a full like you know uh, rap outfit and and big kind of puffed out afro for a jewish guy and gold chains and then the next time he's dressed up as as he's roasting rob Lowe, he's dressed up as prince playing the guitar uh this time for the roast of james franco he's got uh corn rolls uh, a rose and uh he's hilarious he's quick-witted he's smart he does his research he does his homework He's not one of these guys that goes up for the roast that has, you know, 10 pieces of paper with them reading their jokes. I mean, he goes up there, he is prepared and he's got his monologue down basically. And when he roasts somebody, man, he is coming full throttle at you. Here is uh, the best roast master, Jeff Ross. How you doing, Franco? You look like Johnny Depp with lupus. Does Ryan Gosling ever call you, start laughing, and then hang up? (laughs) Franco is half Italian and half asleep. (laughs) How about a hand for James's grandma, 91 years old? Beautiful. Hundred and twenty-seven hours is how long she has left. <laughs> oh my God! Get him, Grandma! Get him! Get him! Oh, oh Franco! Franco comes from humble beginnings, right? Your first job is working at McDonald's. The last time anybody ever said about your work, I'm loving it. (laughs) Uh, And because you're an academic, I treated this roast like a research project. I watched all your films. I read your poetry. I even have one of your paintings hanging in my fire pit. (laughs) You know, Franco, personally, I don't care if you fuck guys or fuck girls. All I know is you fucked me out of 12 bucks when I went to see that Wizard of Oz movie. The whole time I was in the theater, I was thinking, there's no place like home. (laughs) But Franco, I'm really looking forward to you mumbling your rebuttal at the end of the show. (laughs) Are you ready to bring it, Franco? Let's hope you... That's good. I'm psyched. Let's hope you bring some of that razor-sharp wit you brought to the Oscars. You were a worse host than the AIDS monkey. 
Uh, Jeff Ross. I mean, the way that uh, he says that his grandma's got 127 hours to live. And I mean, the, the comedians that were on the dais there were literally covering their mouths because they couldn't believe that he said that. And uh, he is no holds barred. He is uh, just like going to punch you right in the face and you're going to laugh at it. And it's great. He is, uh, he is a master. That's for sure. 100%. So speaking of masters and talking about one-liners, I mean, when you think one-liners, sure, you got Jonathan Winters, absolutely, but you also have Rodney Dangerfield, and talk about a guy who knew he wasn't handsome, <laughs> you know, that's uh, Rodney Dangerfield and Caddyshack, and uh, oh my God, his mannerisms, his his uh, anecdotes, his, uh, his always adjusting his uh, red tie, and of course, I ain't getting no respect, no respect at all. Rodney Dangerfield. I'll tell you, my wife, there's always something, you know. Well, the other day I called her up. I said to her, honey, I've been thinking about the last time we had sex. I'm getting excited. She said, who is this? <laughs> I'll tell you, my wife, she never went for me. Well, the first time I called her up, she told me, come on over. There's nobody home. I went over. There was nobody home. <laughs> my wife, she drives me nuts. Well, she was afraid of the dark. She saw me naked. Now she's afraid of the light. <laughs> I love Dangerfield because these are jokes that he was telling on Johnny Carson. And, you know, you could tell it in stand-up. You could tell it at the comedy cellar. Uh, you could tell it on Johnny Carson, whatever it was. His jokes were clean, wasn't uh, a cusser for the most part, didn't have to drop a swear word to make you laugh. Just clean, funny jokes that every guy in that era, that time frame, was thinking and was going through for the most part. I mean, it was uh, some of the best one-liners ever. And uh, God, I love Rodney Dangerfield. He was fantastic. So now for my favorite comedian of all time. I've already mentioned it. It is Steve Martin. And let me just tell you, I, I one of the first albums I had purchased was uh, Steve Martin's album with him and the uh, white tuxedo on stage. And it was a double album. And I remember this thing. I mean, I, I, I actually repurchased it and it was sealed. And I, I believe it's an original. I bought it about uh, six, seven years ago because I absolutely love that album so much. Might even have been, besides Boston, one of the first albums I'd ever bought. It was a double album. It opened up and it had that song King Tut in there. And for a comedian to do what he did on stage was incredible. I mean, who would ever think to bring a banjo on stage? Who would ever think to do balloon animals on stage? The glasses with the fake nose and the, and the eyebrows and stuff on stage. I, I mean, all of this in one show and the different voices and the way that he would jump around and act a fool and, you know, the wild and crazy guy that, and, uh, the, well, excuse me. I mean, everybody knew that was his thing. That was his take. That was, that was Steve Martin. And his jokes were clean. He did drop a couple swear words here and there early on in his career, but his facial expressions, I think are one of the biggest things that got me. And this is one of the jokes that I remember as a kid growing up that, uh, I, I couldn't believe he said it. This is kind of where I believe like that, that, um, the Dave Attell gets it from, the Amy Schumers of the world get it from. You know how Amy kind of starts out with a joke going one direction, then she flips it and goes back the other direction. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe she said that. 
I think they got it from Steve Martin personally. He is uh, probably one of the best actors in the world, uh, in my opinion. I, I think his, his movies are fantastic and definitely my number one comedian. Love this guy, Steve Martin. And this doesn't happen very often. About three weeks ago, I met a girl, and she was real nice, and she invited me to her apartment. So I went over there, and she had the best pussy <laughs> I have ever... Oh, now, come on! talking about her cat. Now that makes me sick right there. Now, you can't say anything anymore that people don't take it dirty, and I'm sorry. That disgusts me. That cat was the best fuck I ever had. <laughs> oh my God, it's so great. It's so great. You didn't expect it, right? And it just, bam, right in your face. Uh, imagine being a 13, 14 year old kid and hearing that. And, uh, I mean, it's just incredible. Steve Martin was great. Again, his facial expressions make that joke even better. And, uh, you can hear the crowd's reaction of how like, Oh my God, I can't believe he just said that. Well, listen, that was episode 188, guys. I hope it didn't go on too long for you and stuff. I do want to give some of my honorable mentions out there, though, uh, for some stand-up comedians and stuff. I think there's, I mean, there's still a tremendous amount of comedians out there. I could have gone on and on and on with this. Sam Kinison, another one. Um, uh, this guy with the yelling and the in your face and looking at you in his high-pitched voice, he's like, <laughs> like that. And I mean, I can't even do it. He, he was... And he was cute and he was cuddly and he was raw and he was mean and he was angry and he was just an alcoholic and he was everything and you wanted to hang out with this guy. You wanted to party with him. He was a comedian. He was a rock star of comedy. That's what he was. And Sam Kennison was great in the yelling I mean, you just couldn't get enough of it. It was, uh, and it went, when he really did uh, in um, Back to School with Roddy Dangerfield, God, that I think that's kind of almost right when he was on the map with that thing. That that's it, probably his highest point right there. That that time frame, and then uh, Lisa Lampanelli. I mean, I I really liked Lisa Lampanelli in the early stages. I think she's carried on with that bit of doing black guys too much. Um, I, I it was funny. For a couple of years, um, I think she's married to a black guy. Totally fine. No big deal. But I think that you've got to evolve as a comedian. And I didn't see her comedy really growing over the past couple of years. Not trying to insult her or anything like that. I just think that you got to find a, a different angle and you got to keep reinventing yourself. And that's what all these top 10 comedians that I picked out or 12, whatever it was, they always reinvented themselves. You know, and they always made the jokes better and longer. Um, you know, maybe the exception of Dangerfield. He kind of stuck with the same. <laughs> so who the, who the hell knows what the hell I'm talking about then? Damn it. Amy Schumer, I think, uh, again, early stuff. Amy Schumer was great. Um, I don't 